<clears throat> That's okay. We've got time. Which verse are we on? Starting with verse 7 today. So, thank you all for coming. Continuing the class on the... Uh, Summary, 18th chapter of the summary of Bhagavad Gita. Summary number two. As you know, the second <coughs> chapter was a summary, now Krishna's summarizing again in the, in the 18th chapter. So, But that doesn't mean that it's like, well, I've heard all this before. It's kind of like if it was a mystery novel. And if they summarized everything in the second chapter, by the time you got to the 18th chapter, you already knew the butler did it. You know, so this isn't like that, though. Krishna's going to summarize, and it's just sweeter because he restates it. He kind of restates it. He says the same, but he, re he says it in a little different way, and he gets into some different details. So stop at any time with questions. What was the fire you gave today? Um, it was for Krishna Chaitra and his co-workers. Because uh, I think they're losing funding at his job. So I think it's called the Narayan Jagya, something like that. Yeah. So. And what does that mean, they're losing funding? I think I'm not, I'm not quite sure of the details, but I think it would affect his work. Yeah. Oh. What kind of work is that? Well, he's an optometrist. Optometrist, yeah. <clears throat> wow. All right. I'll fire it off with number seven, and then we'll go around the room. Niyatasya tu sanyasya Karmano no padayate, Mahatasya parityagas, Tamasaha pari, pari kirtida. Translation <clears throat> Prescribed duties should never be renounced. If one gives up his prescribed duties because of illusion, such renunciation is said to be in the mode of ignorance. Prescribed duties. Let's see what Prabhupada says about this. Work for material satisfaction must be given up. But activities which promote one to spiritual activity, like cooking for the Supreme Lord and offering the, uh, the food to the Lord, and then accepting the food, are recommended. It is said that a person in the renounced order of life should not cook for himself. Cooking for oneself is prohibited, but cooking for the Supreme Lord is not prohibited. Does that mean that if you wear, if you wear saffron, you shouldn't cook for yourself? No. Why not? It's just what it says right here. I think Prabhupada's trying to say that you guys should always cook for me. <laughs> 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 Especially when they cook like Chaitanya Leela. That that uh, 
Was that enchiladas you fixed Thursday night? Excuse me. Wow, that was so good. I haven't forgotten about that yet. Gonna have to do that again. No, what he's saying, probably the saying is we don't cook for ourselves. No one should cook for themselves. We should always cook for Guru and Krishna. We want to please Krishna. You see? So, uh, if I want to please um, Elijah, and I know that Elijah likes eggplant, then I'm going to probably think of eggplant. You know, I'm going to cook for Elijah, eggplant. Uh, if I know you like gulab jamuns, I'm going to make gulab jamuns. You see what I mean? Because I want to cook uh, for you. I want to please you. So therefore, I'm not cooking for my tongue. You see? So we cook. We don't cook for ourselves. Uh, the benefit is we get to enjoy the remnants of Krishna's food. Now that doesn't mean that if you've got a taste for eggplant that you don't cook the eggplant and offer it to the Lord because, you know, he likes the eggplant too, you know. So there are certain things, but we should get out of the consciousness of cooking just to satisfy me. You know, I want to satisfy Krishna. So I know it's like, uh, you know, we may be at the market and we say, uh, we see some a fresh shipment of mangoes. And we think, wow, I know Krishna loves mangoes. Or Chaitanya loves mangoes. You know, Prabhupada loves mangoes. There's this one mango grove. <clears throat> I don't know if it's still there, but it used to be as you left Mayapur. Somewhere down the road there was this grove, and Prabhupada liked to stop there, coming and going during mango season and have fresh mangoes right off the tree. You know, so... You may see a mango and you think, oh, I know Prabhupada likes mango. Look at this beautiful mango. So you get that. Now, of course, your tongue is going to get the benefit of the mango too. But that first impression was, oh, I know Prabhupada likes this. You see? I know Krishna likes this. It's like when we were in... Uh, did I turn you on to Chikus when we were... Yeah. Yeah, it's little Krishna's favorite fruit. It's little Chiku... So as soon as I see those, I think Krishna loves these. Krishna loves the chikus. They're a little brown fruit and they have a chocolate flavor. Mm. Very unusual fruit. Mm. Really good. Uh, not too sweet, but not bland. You know, really nice. So after some time, um, it's like husband and wife. You know, you get to the point where you know what your husband likes. He knows what you like. Well, at least you know what he likes. <laughs> Just seeing if you're awake over there. <laughs> so, you know, you get that. You, you see something, you go, oh, I know he likes this. So this is the, uh, this is the mood Prabhupada is trying to talk about here. Cooking for oneself is prohibited, uh, but cooking for the Supreme Lord is not prohibited. Similarly, a sannyas may perform a marriage ceremony to help his disciple in the advancement of Krishna consciousness. If one renounces such activities, it is to be understood that he is in the mode of darkness. I say that I'm in the renounced order, so therefore I don't want to perform a marriage ceremony for my disciples, then I'm in the mode of darkness. You see? 
There are many people like that. But we see what Prabhupada says here. Any questions? Where are we at? I don't know what page, but 18th chapter, 8th verse. Chaitanya Leela, you want to be next? Prescribed duties as trouble, some are out of fear of bodily com- discomfort, is said to have renounced in the mode of passion. Such action never leads to the elevation of renunciation. One who is in Krishna consci- consciousness should never give up earning money out of fear that he is performing fruitive activities. If by working one can engage his money in Krishna consciousness, or if by rising early in the morning one can advance his transcendental Krishna consciousness, one should not dissent, dissent out of fear or because such activities are considered troublesome. Such renunciation is the mode of passion. The result of passionate work is always miserable. If a person renounces work in, in that spirit, he never gets the result of renunciation. Thank you, number nine. Karyam titi evayat karma nayatam kriyate rajuna sangam taital pralam kaiva sa tayaga satveko mata. O Arjuna, when one performs his prescribed duty only because it ought to be done, and renounces all material association and all attachment to the fruit, his renunciation is said to be in the mode of goodness. Prescribed duties must be performed with this mentality. One should act without attachment for the result. He should be disassociated from the modes of work. A man working in Krishna consciousness in a factory does not associate himself with the work of the factory nor with the workers of the factory. He simply works for Krishna, and when he gives up the result for Krishna, he is acting transcendentally. Now, when one is, uh, if we're doing something uh, because we know Krishna likes it, uh, or if we're surrendered to, uh, to Krishna, then we're trying to act as an instrument. You know, we're, in other words, I'm uh, I'm renouncing my own personal um, desire to have a particular outcome. So that's really different, isn't it? That's unusual. It's kind of hard for people to buy into that at first. Because why would I do that? Well, you add the 
ingredient. It's like when you're making uh, a recipe, some recipe, uh, there's certain ingredients that change the whole thing. Like if you're making uh, sweet rice, you know, you can have the best Ahimsa creamy milk, fresh from the cow, and fresh basmati rice. But if you don't put in sugar, it's not sweet rice. So when you put in the sugar, it changes the whole thing. Until then, it's not, you know, it's got great ingredients. So um, when you add the element of love, it changes the whole action, the whole intention. You know, my intention is to, uh, to demonstrate love for Guru and Krishna. So therefore, I'm, I'm, I do things entirely different, you see. Because of that love, now I'm doing for you. Because now without that, well, fend for yourself. You're a grown man. You ought to be able to take care of yourself by now. You know, so this is the material consciousness. Does that make any sense? This is kind of difficult to adapt to. You know, setting one's life's mission. <coughs> <coughs> so many times we talk to people and they have a bucket list. You know? Things I want. I want to climb Mount Everest and I want to hang glide and so many things. Bungee jump. I've got all these things on my bucket list that I want to do before the end of my life. Uh, and for the materialist, there's not a thing wrong with that. Sounds kind of normal. But the devotee wants to know, my dear Krishna, what's on your list? What is on the list of Guru and Krishna? I want to know. I'm, because I want to serve and I'm surrendering, then what's up your sleeve? What's your plan? Oh, man, when we say that to Krishna, that changes everything. That's like putting the sugar in the sweet rice. What's your plan, Krishna? And Krishna is so kind, he's like, now that you ask, you never have asked before. <laughs> but here we are. <clears throat> you're asking me, what do I want? So, now that you're going to be my instrument, i got a couple of things I'd like to do. And you as my instrument, you're going to take the credit for it. I want you to have the credit for it. I want people to say, look what you did. Wow, that was so great. And of course, because you're my surrendered servant, you're going to know. It's just the instrument. You know? All I did was surrender to the will of Guru and Krishna. That's all I did. <coughs> it's like Prabhupada said that. You know, many, many times. All I did was try to satisfy the order of my guru. People say, Swami, you've done so many wonderful things. I'm just following the instructions of Guru and Krishna. You see? Okay? Yeah. I was having a conversation with Radha earlier today, <clears throat> and we were just kind of reminiscing about, like, the past or whatever. And it's funny how when we get into the mode of passion, it's quite interesting how much you can accomplish, you know. Um, it's 
pretty scary actually what you can get done when you're really in, when you get in that mode of passion and you become determined towards a specific goal and I was thinking about how what distinguishes a devotee is someone who's surrendered to Krishna and how one can understand giving up the results of one's work a little bit better is that one has already attained success so success is already ours whereas the materialist is so attached to the result because the result means that much closer to attaining success. Yeah. Um, so this understanding that we can give up the result because ultimately we just want to please Krishna. We want to do it, but we want to do it to please Krishna. So our motivation is not to get something out of it. Right. But it's it's more about pleasing Krishna. So in that way, the motive passion is still very much. Um, necessary, even in the, in the devotee's life, but the intention is different. We take and harness the motivation. Right. It's like harnessing a powerful horse. You know, you've got this powerful horse, and you harness it to pull a wagon or to ride you to town or something like that, you see. So, Actually, uh, in, in that scenario that you painted, mode of passion uh, drives you mm -hmm. if you're a materialist. And you can do great things using that mode of passion. But if we're simply surrendered to Guru and Krishna, I want the outcome that you want, then you, you become uh, empowered. <clears throat> Because you're going along with the will uh, of Guru and Krishna. So therefore, the modes become your servant. Mm. Rather than you be, being their servant. Right. You, you harness the modes. Mm. Goodness, passion, ignorance. You know, as we've discussed, we need ignorance sometimes. We have to sleep. That's the mode of ignorance. But we use that. So therefore, we purify the mode of ignorance because we sleep so that we can be healthy in our bodies and do our service, and, you know, get clarity of mind and the mode of passion. So therefore, what I've witnessed is that the devotee accomplishes uh, much, much more than just people that are servant of the mode of passion. See. They, somebody, now there are some people who are going to stand out, like Henry Ford. Look what Henry Ford did. Elon Musk. You know, um, Bill Gates. There's several of these guys. Jeff Bezos, you know. So they used the mode of passion to get very wealthy. And they had tremendous karma behind them, you see. So the devotee may not have karma for wealth. But if he tries to spread this movement, Krishna may make him very wealthy. You see? Uh, Prabhupada was in business all of his life. All through his Krihasta life, he was a businessman. He never had a lot of success. He did. You know, eh. Then, when he came to America, Fulfilling the desire of his guru, Krishna made him incredibly wealthy. 
Although he didn't want any of the money for himself. He didn't take any of it. When Prabhupada left his body, he didn't have any money. He didn't own anything. Everything was ISKCON. You see? He doesn't, it's like he didn't need to touch it and have it himself. It came in and went over here, it went over there, this project and that project. So, uh, unattached to the results. He's the one who translated the books. You see? Millions of dollars came in from the distribution of the books. But he wasn't doing this for money. He doesn't say, hey, where's my check? <clears throat> Distribute more books. Take some of that money from book sales, open temples. Take some of that money, buy a farm. Take the rest of it, print more books. You see? So that's Motivation. Uh, did Prabhupada have a good life? Yeah. He did. He had a great life. He lived like a wealthy man because he had plenty to eat. Yeah, he could go anywhere. He went around the world 12 times. <coughs> 14 times? Yeah, 14 times. He went around the world in 12 years. You see? So he traveled like a wealthy guy. Uh, he was always well fed. Wherever he went, the devotees uh, gave him as nice accommodation as they had. Sometimes it was palatial. Sometimes it was just basic. <clears throat> his, uh, his room in Dallas uh, was just very, very basic. Of course, now, uh, several years ago, we made it into a palace. We still have his, his bed and some of his, his rocker and some of his stuff is in there. And the original Vyasasan is still there. <clears throat> we, put it, we moved it up into his quarters. So someday, if you ever go to Dallas, you can go see Prabhupada's quarters. And it's really, really nice. And so uh, we recovered, took off all the old silk from the Vyasasan, recovered it, and uh, as a matter of fact, we still have that cloth that was on the original Vyasasan that Prabhupada sat on. So, so anyway, you can see the, all right, who's next? Oh, you. Nadvesta kusala karma kush kushala narusha jate. Tagi sadra samadhisto vidadi jena samsayaha. The intelligent renouncer situated in the mode of goodness, neither hateful of auspicious work nor attached to auspicious work, has no doubts about work. A person in Krishna consciousness or in the mode of goodness does not hate anyone or anything which troubles his body. He does, he does work in the proper place and at the proper time without fearing the troublesome effects of his duty. Such a person situ situated in transcendence should be understood to be most intelligent and beyond all doubts in his activities. Yeah. I have a question about this because 
on one hand, we all have to take austerity for, right, for like Prabhupada was saying, rising early and, and doing a different practice in Krishna consciousness. But also Prabhupada would, um, given priorities, he would say, well, your health comes first. Without your health, you can't do service, you can't do chanting, and you can't do your reading. So what's the balance? Because sometimes we find that, like Prabhupada said, you know, most people just need like six hours of sleep. But sometimes people need a little more, and you should feel refreshed. Not that you sleep any more than you need, but you should feel refreshed. Yeah. So sometimes we see that, like like for myself, sometimes I'll miss Mangalarti because my body is just like needs a little more sleep. Like mm-hmm. I just feel like I'm in a zombie mode or something. So, so how do we balance that? Of, knowing that we have to take some trouble for the body. Like we might not want to get up, but every morning we have to get up. But sometimes we need more rest. Well, you have to do... You, you, you can't do something that's going to uh, intentionally damage the body. Or, uh, what if you force yourself to get up and you haven't had enough sleep? So now, look what you've done. The limits that you've put on your service for that day. It may be dangerous to drive a car. You didn't get enough sleep. You know, I've caught myself. I've changed the whole way I travel now because I used to, if it wasn't for the rumble strips on the side of the road, then I, there's no telling where I'd be. You know, because you know those strips I'm talking about along the freeways? You know, in Texas, they're real loud. So going down I-80, or I mean, I-10 at 80 miles an hour, you drift over and hit those rumble strips, it'll wake you up, you know. So I thought, wow, this is crazy. This is insane. What what am I accomplishing? So I, I got an early start. I didn't get enough sleep. I didn't get enough sleep to do this service. The service is, I need to go from El Paso to uh, San Antonio or Dallas or whatever. So I don't do that anymore. I make sure that I've got plenty because I really hate that. So, you know, that lack of sleep can affect so many things. What if you're giving advice? What if somebody really, really needs your advice? Oh, oh, I've got this big problem. I'm I'm listening. I'm like, go ahead. You see what I mean? How much of you is there to help them? They may need all of you. But how much can you give them? Or, you know, so there's some serious things. Driving. Counseling someone, this counseling someone is extremely important. You know, we need to be, quote unquote, there for you all the time, whenever we're needed. That's that's our bond with each other, you see. So that's part of our, that's an extremely important part of our service. Is helping the family and anybody else, but the family's the one that's closest by. They're 
are more likely to come in contact with one another than that once needs help than someone else, isn't it? Or to have someone, it's rare you're going to have a stranger come up to you and say, hey, friend, can, can you tell me what is the meaning of life? <laughs> you know, it's rare. But a devotee may have some situation. He needs your guidance. And so you need to be able to do that. You know, I notice sometimes if I don't get enough sleep, uh, I'm maybe cutting something in the kitchen and uh, I end up cutting myself. <laughs> you know, so I think, oh, we can't, this is foolish. What, what did I accomplish? by being front and center at a particular time. And what did I demolish? So, well, I was there. Okay, what did you destroy? Well, the service to this, the service to that, and service to this, and service. But I was there. Okay, if that's your mode of thinking, then, you know. It holds true like if you're a soldier you want to get enough sleep to go into battle, if you're a doctor, if you're a, an attorney and you're going into court, uh, if you're an accountant, if you're a mechanic, you do need to be. So what about a devotee? Does it not matter if you're, well, you're just a devotee? That don't make any sense. How come everybody else needs to be sharp and well-rested? But you need to be front and center. I don't get it, you see. So no, you need that. You need that. Also, it will take away from the whole day. Would it be fair to say that as devotees trying to fulfill Prabhupada's instruction to rise early and tend to mongol arti and would be would it be fair to say that, that we try our best to engineer our lives so that we can go ahead and attend those programs and then if we're doing some service that like like generally like we miss Friday morning because we we have a preaching program Thursday night yeah like, so we're like I had a preaching program last night that went late and so I missed this morning so would it, would it be would that be a, a good way to approach a situation where I do my best to engineer my life where I get a bed early so I can go to the morning program yeah to fulfill Prabhupada's desire but sometimes do your best, but don't be a fanatic. In other words, what is the absolute target you're trying to hit? Is it that you, your absolute target, before anything else, is to be front and center when they blow the conch? Or is it to perform devotional service to the best of your ability? Sometimes that service may keep you up late. <clears throat> Some people may argue, well, but there's ways that you can... No, you can't. If you're doing the service right, you can't, you know, artificially say, all right, everybody get out of here. I'm leaving. You know, what are you, what are you trying to prove? You're going to cut your service short of preaching, but you're going to show up you, you see what I mean? So you just have to use your best judgment. You do. 
we, we can't be fanatics. Just, to, just, we do it because. And uh, if, but if you, if you're fixed in a particular service, preaching is a good example. There, there are others, but preaching. Uh, then you're gonna you're gonna do that service as, as good as you can, and if it requires you to spend a little extra time with people, then you're gonna do that. And if that keeps you from getting up at, at as at, at as early a time as you normally would, so be it. You're saying it has to be for the purpose of another savor, basically, a necessary savor. Yeah. Because there is there's that one story of Prabhupada where the boy is the boy is sleeping in the with the boga shed or something. And he's giving Bhagavatam class and they take him they started everybody in the room started hearing him snoring. <laughs> so Prabhupada said, bring, bring him to me. And he said, uh, only uh, only demons don't attend Bhagavatam class. And, uh, <laughs> and the boy was kinda of like trembling. So like how do we because uh, we understand like Prabhupada really emphasized like to be to be Front and center. So and then, like I, I saw in Dallas, you know, wonderful devotees there. I'm sure, but they're broadcasting one of the live Bhagavatam classes, and literally, there's like two people in the room for the Bhagavatam class. Well, but there's people online. There's many yeah. people online. I'm not. I'm not criticizing or trying to be judgmental. I'm just no. saying, yeah. in terms of like the culture, probably wanted to. It's like it's so enthusiastic, enthusing when you well, see a room full of time, place, circumstance. Yeah. So, back in the. Uh, in the 70s, um, there was a time when everybody lived right there. You know, a lot of times, <clears throat> most of the time, in the same building. So, well, yeah, you ought to be down there in, at Bhagavatam class. <clears throat> you see, you really should. You're you're right here. So, what about the grihasta that lives 25, 30 minutes away? And he has to be at the office at 8 o'clock. You see what I mean? Well, come on, use your intelligence. So now we can see that uh, there are many people uh, in Dallas that they're eating their breakfast before they go to, uh, to the office. And they don't have many people staying at the temple right now. This is like none. Like a few, like <laughs> now none. Yeah. So... So there's people that have to go to the office and they're sitting there having breakfast listening to Bhagavatam class. Or on their way to, to, to the office, streaming on their phone. Oh, and some people have to catch it later that night. You know? Or later on. It's like here, if you miss, miss Bhagavatam class, you can always catch it later on. You know? So... Yeah, does it mean you have to be right there looking at, at, the, at the who's giving class? No. If you're living here and it fits with your day, your, your service, yes, you should. I mean, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be proper if you think, uh, I just don't want to go to Bhagavatam class today. So, and you're living here, and so you think, oh, I think I'm just gonna stay in my jammies and listen to it on, uh, or watch it on uh, the streaming class. 
wine, I just want to. Well, that's a little bit Maya. You know, that sounds a little mode of passion, doesn't it? But for my mood right now, that's inconvenient because I don't want to take a shower and go get dressed, put on tea lock and go over there. So it's just like this verse said here, you know. Um, or was it the one uh, before? Number eight. Yeah. If it's, <clears throat> if it's inconvenient. I'm, I'm renouncing something because it's inconvenient. It's a mode of passion. You know? Now, would it kill your devotional life if you did that once in a great while? No. No. You might have been really, really busy. Maybe you're, you're, you've been tired. You've been really, you know, uh, engaged. And you've got enough sleep and your health is okay. But you know what? I just want to, I want to chill and listen to Glenn. Hey, come on. Why not? You know? I mean, if you make a habit of it, then you're, that's not so good for you. Does that make any sense? User, apply your intelligence. Get personal with Krishna. You know? I mean, is Krishna going to beat us to death with a big stick if we do like that? Or can we just say, you know, Krishna, I just want to stay here this morning. You know, I don't want to go. I want to do my service and I want to hear. But, you know, I just got off the road or I'm about to go on the road or I'm about to, you know, I've been working real hard. <clears throat> You know, I have, I have enough sleep. I can do it. I just don't want to. Once in a while, let yourself do that. Once in a while. <clears throat> it's probably not good if you do it just... Uh, it becomes a habit. Yeah, it becomes a habit. I'm not going to go to class because I just don't want to. Well, then there's something wrong there. Why don't you want to go to class? You need to ask yourself that. You know? We need to ask ourselves these, you know. We need to counsel ourselves, too. I don't feel like it. Well, why? Do you say that to yourself. Why don't you feel like it? What's going on here? You know? Do you need a, a tweak? You need a little bit of an adjustment, some tune-up or something. What's wrong? Is it something else that's bothering you? Let's examine. Why, do, why would I feel this way? Is it that I don't like Bhagavatam class? Well, no, I like Bhagavatam class. I like hearing. I want to hear. But today, I'm just tired. My mind is... Whatever. So... When you notice it's so nice to have that culture where everybody talks and it's so enlivening when you have devotees who are like eager to hear and to participate yeah. and chime in and then one person gives a realization and everybody's really engaged. This is really nice. It's really nice, I'll tell you. And it's really... Um, when you go to a temple and only two people show up for Bhagavatam class, it's really... Uh, 
to say. I remember one time I gave class in uh, Bhagavatam class in Dallas a few years ago. There were two two people in there. Neither one of them knew the Jairadamata prayer. <laughs> I'm like, Jairadamata Punjabi Hari. <laughs> they're looking at me like, <laughs> this is where you sing. Well, we don't know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it was pretty much, you know, I thought, oh, okay, you know, so it's, it'll be this way. Okay. But it's, it's, it's really nice when the, the one giving the class chants in the whole room says it. You know, when you're giving class, you can tell if it's kind of like <laughs> this is really going to be inspiring, you know. <laughs> When you get a sleepy audience, sometimes I do things to mess with their heads. You know, like you see somebody who's a little sleepy and you look at them and you say, do you agree? Hmm? Me? Yeah. Do you agree? <laughs> with what? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I mean, I might as well enjoy the class. <laughs> Somebody in this room should enjoy this. I think it might as well just be me, you know. <laughs> sitting there giving class, everyone's kind of like this. You look up at the deities like, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, Kalachanji looks back and goes, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, we have to use our, always use our, our intelligence. If, if your intention is, is good based on uh, loving service, uh, and that means yourself, take good care of yourself. I've said this a lot of times to people. If you uh, uh, if you're gonna be a friend, you want to be a friend to people, right? You want to be a friend to people, right? Well, you're gonna for you to be a good friend to other people, you're gonna have to learn to be a good friend to yourself, or you're not gonna be effective. If people know, well, you're not even good to yourself. I don't know if I have faith that you're. You don't even take care of yourself. You don't do the right things for yourself. You don't make the right decisions. Why should I? I mean, I like you. I don't know if I fully trust your opinion. I mean, because at least you should take care of yourself. Do the right things. Make the right decisions for yourself. You see? Someone who decides that they're just going to... Uh, not get up and go to Bhagavatam class just because it's inconvenient. You know, it's a short walk. 
to the temple. But then if, by the same token, be good to yourself if it's too much of austerity, if you haven't had enough sleep or if you have to drive and it's inclement weather or if it's a long distance or... So there's so many. You just have to use your good judgment all the time. And sometimes you just have to tell yourself that's an emotive passion. You're, you're, you made a decision in emotive passion. Sometimes you have to do like that. That's being a friend to yourself. Come on. You know, you're just, you're just being lazy. Get up. You know, that's being a friend to yourself. You have to look out uh, for yourself. You got to save yourself. You know, it's like we say, use the analogy of like you're on the airplane. The stewardess is saying, in the event of loss of cabin pressure, oxygen masks come down. Put one on yourself first before you try to assist a child or someone else. You can't help the child if you go, <laughs> first put it on yourself. Take care of yourself and then help others, you see. But you're useless to others if you don't. Does that make sense? I'm sorry, you... No, I was going to say, Prabhu mentioned about the devotee who was snoring, sleeping. It reminded me of the opposite thing. I, I believe it was Vishnu John Prabhu, he was falling asleep in the morning program and somebody pointed out to Srila Prabhupada and he said, let him sleep because <laughs> yeah. he does so much service. Yeah, time, pl time place, and circumstance. Yeah, it goes either way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it can go. If someone's just lazy, sometimes people did so much service that they... And then it depends on the devotee. You know, I remember... Tamal Krishna Maharaj was doing a lot, a lot of service for Prabhupada. And uh, he was talking with Prabhupada one morning, and there was a point that he didn't know in philosophy. Prabhupada said, you should know this. Are you reading my books? Oh, you're reading my books, aren't you? He said, Tamal says, well, yes, Prabhupada, but for a while now I haven't been able to. Prabhupada said, why? Well, I'm doing so much service. I can't take an hour a day and read. Prabhupada said, sleep less. But that's Tamal Krishna, you see. That's like telling a Navy SEAL to work out more. Sir, yes, sir. Rather than somebody else may not be able to. So then Prabhupada would say, oh, we need to reschedule your service. You're doing too much. So it depends. This is a very personal uh, movement. Your, your relationship with Guru and Krishna is very personal. You are very individual. So what goes for you may not go for him or her or you. We don't have a cookie cutter. You know, we're not like some mind control cult that everybody has to be exactly the same. Well, that would be boring, wouldn't it? So no.
Yeah. I just remember a story with Sri Thakirti where he was, you know, personal secretary of Prabhupada and he was, there was one point where um, he wasn't chanting all his 16 rounds and Prabhupada asked him, why are you not chanting your 16 rounds? He said, Prabhupada, I, just, I don't have enough service to do. I can't get inspired to chant. So Prabhupada <laughs> immediately <coughs> called in somebody and said, please give him this and this and this service. And he's like, now can you chant 16 rounds? He's like, yes. <laughs> See how personal? See, that's being personal. And that's uh, forming personal bonds with individuals. It's not like, well, the absolute rule for everybody is this. I need you to think like this and say like this. No, no, no. It's very individual because you are an individual. Personal bonding means we learn that. Yeah. Um, yesterday I was thinking about George Harrison and I was wondering why he didn't have to cut his hair. And um, so I did a little research on, on my own. And it's just funny that you're bringing that, that up because I found that uh, very interesting that um, Prabhupada had instructed him to uh, continue playing music. Yeah. Yeah, because you can do so much service. This is your path. It wouldn't be good to walk the path of another. Walk the path of George, George Harrison, but purify it. And then right after that, George came out with uh, that uh, Living in the Material World al album. You know? I mean, he just, boy, this, he, it's like he took steroids. It's like, boom, he starts writing these songs and they, they all became hits. And, you know, on uh, every radio station in the Western world was playing My Sweet Lord, you know? And you heard people, you'd hear people, uh, you know, listening to that song. And it got to the point where they're chanting Hare Krishna and you hear people chanting, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. You know, people that didn't have any idea. But George had them chanting. He had millions of people chanting. So what if Prabhupada had let him shave up and move in the temple? Look at the rim. Look at what would have happened. Millions of people would have missed out on that. This is a very individual. Personal bonding is, is individual. Unique. You got to be able to deal with people. If to the, de to the degree that I can't recognize your uniquity, I have not personally bonded with you. The deeper I get into recognizing your uh, transcendental personality, the more unique I see that you are. You're nothing like the other person. See? And that's a very, uh, to the non-devotee, and even maybe to some devotees, to, to many people, that's a very complicated way to live. You see, was why can't I just have one person to deal with? And then I don't have to think so much outside of me, myself, and my own.
you see? And then you need some counseling, I give you, I'll pick something off the shelf and I throw it at you. Here, there. A one-size-fits-all answer. Could work. Rather than, oh yeah, hmm. And as you're hearing the person reveal their heart, you're thinking, we're actually bonding deeper personally. You see, I'm, I'm seeing, subconsciously you may see, I'm seeing how much different you are than other people. You see, I'm getting, I'm getting to know you. So that getting to know you means something different for the devotee than it does the non-devotee. It means a personal. Uh, and it becomes extremely interesting. You know, the living entities are extremely interesting. We're part and parcel of Krishna. This personality that we have uh, is attracted to Krishna. And so if I can let go of my interest in my own personality, then I can, I can learn yours. I can bond with you. Of course, sometimes we have to do some, introspectively, we have to try to figure out why our mind works a certain way. You know, why is this bothering me? You know, somebody did or said something, why is this bothering me so much? So sometimes you need to learn about yourself. Sometimes you need to go to someone. Sometimes you can have uh, an associate who kind of knows you better than you know yourself. Now that's a valuable thing to have. Then you can say, you know, this is happening and I think it's bothering me more than it probably should. Well, have you thought of this? And you go, oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, you just, you just opened my eyes. You're exactly right. See? Now, if we don't have time for that, if we've got too much to do to interface with each other and personally uh, bond, then we're doing something wrong. Or maybe some people are too busy to do that, and some other people aren't. But I think that we all should be interested in personally bonding with one another. It's a very wonderful experience. You, you can't go into the liberated, you can't go into Golok Brindavan until you learn this art of knowing each other. What do you think they do in Krishna Loka? Everyone is completely bonded, totally, you know, tight. You see, so we 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 should uh, we should have that because it makes our preaching more, more effective. If we get to that point to where we learn how to do that. And we can do that with other people, or at least other people come in and they see the bond that the devotees have. They think, wow, I like this. This isn't present anywhere else. Where do you find this? Everything else is superficial. 
on, you know, on the superficial level. You know, I like you because you're a Diamondbacks fan. Yeah, go Diamondbacks. Yeah, rah or whatever, these superficial things. Do I know anything about you? Well, yeah, I know he likes Budweiser. You know? You see what I mean? But to get down into that person, a lot of people, as soon as you start getting personal like that, they kind of back off, you know? I don't want to reveal my personality to you. How do I know I can trust you with it? And I'm not interested in yours. You see, so that's the that's the shape of the material world. That's our dilemma. And Krishna consciousness will turn that around. Krishna consciousness establishes a platform to where we can all uh, have deep personal bonds. So. I guess I got a little off subject, huh? Did I? We're not doing very good, are we? Are we okay? All right, it's six minutes after. Should we go for another one, or what should we do? Uh, I think 15 after is probably good to have enough time to run around and put things in the van. And okay. You want to do the next one? Sure. It is indeed impossible for an embodied being to give up all activities, but he who renounces the fruit of action is called one who has truly renounced. The purport to? Yeah. Um, it is said in Bhagavad Gita that one can never give up work at any time. Therefore, <coughs> he who works for Krishna and does not enjoy the fruit of results, who offers everything to Krishna, is actually a renouncer. There are many members of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness who work very hard in their office or in the factory or some other place. And whatever they earn, they give to the society. Such highly elevated souls are actually sannyasis and are situated in the renunciability of life. It is clearly outlined here how to renounce the fruits of work and for what purpose fruits should be renounced. So this is again part of the essence of, uh, of the Bhagavad Gita. This uh, renouncing the fruits of your labor. Because to, to be able to do that, you have to, you have to direct this desire for activity. Later on, it's going to discuss the, mm -hmm. the doer, the place of the activity, the kinds of activity. But for you to direct your activities uh, on a non-selfish basis it is a tremendous turnaround from material consciousness. You know? I, I'll do it, but what do I get? Or you do this and then I'll do this. Which is the, 
the famous statement we're hearing a lot of lately in the news, quid pro quo. <laughs> you know, they've, that's been all over, you know, quid pro quo. You know, if you'll do this, I'll do that. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Kind of thing, you know. But if you don't, then I'm not. So, uh, so this is mundane. This is material. Whereas I want to do for Krishna. My, uh, even if I'm working a job, I have so much income that comes in from the results. So I'm going to take what I need, you know, to cash flow my household, put something away for the future, and uh, take care of my health, pay my house, my car, car payments, whatever. And what I can, I'm going to use to serve Krishna. If I don't have any idea what to do with it uh, at all, I may just give it to the temple. And I may give some because they have a project. We're trying to, like now, we're trying to get new curtains for the altar. So, well, that's really good, you know. When I was Grihasta, I, I was always interested in what uh, what programs, what uh, things like that that we had going on in the temple. I'm thinking, wow, what's what's going on lately? What are you? Well, we're trying to put down a marble floor or a granite floor in the hallway. Wow, how much is that going to cost? Oh, you know, fifteen thousand dollars. Hey, I think I'd like a piece of that. You know? Yeah, I can. Yeah, that's that's a good cause. And, all right, or we're building a new deity kitchen. We need a new stove and a new refrigerator. You know, in Dallas they have a kitchen just for the just for the deities. Radhakalachanji have their own kitchen. You know, you don't cook for anybody with the deities in there, and it's really nice. Really nice stove, and nice refrigerator, granite floor. You know, it's like God's kitchen. It's Radharani's kitchen. And so, man, that's good. It's good to get a piece of that action, you know. So, or no different things. So the Grihasta thinks like that. Yeah, I can't, I can't float it all, but I'll take this much. You know, and sometimes you might be able to do it all. Just don't even tell anybody about it. Before you tell the rest of the community, here you go. I'll cover it. You know, because I want it all. And sometimes management will say, I'm not going to let you do that. I'm not going to let you steal all the service. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you have to be careful. There are some devotees that will steal all the service, they'll steal all the maha. <laughs> 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 What's your question? Yeah, it was like we had we had six cases left of Bhagavad Gita and the Kirtan Yoga Prabhu was like, I'm gonna take it, I'll take it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is a <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's like I was just I was thinking See, like, in other words, he's in the mode of passion, isn't he? His eyes are big. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 you know, it's just 
attitude. <laughs> I'm gonna get him before Jesse. <laughs> Govinda Madhava oh my god I gotta keep my there I'm gonna get it out there before he does there's some other devotees where I'm like yeah I think I'm gonna do some like Kirtan's like I'm taking them no like that's it so. yeah grab it <laughs> yeah so no that's a good example I was, as much as you can. I was thinking this like renouncing for Krishna, like is indicating <coughs> that we have some that devotees who who feel like this desire to renounce for Krishna have some higher taste. Because it's like materially speaking, it's like, do you want to buy books and then go and take the hardship? First, you have to take the hardship to buy the books, and then you have to take the hardship to find people to hand them out to. Yeah. Or like I'm making you know, money for my job, I work hard, and now I have to give them up for something that doesn't personally really affect me. Materially, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. When you add that ingredient of love, all of a sudden it makes a lot of sense, you see. That's renouncing the fruits. In other words, instead of thinking, well, I want that money working for me, you know, I may not need anything today, but I might need something tomorrow. I mean, after all, Black Friday is coming. There's going to be some great deals out there. So I need to hang on to my dinero. You know? I mean, somebody's going to distribute these silly books, aren't they? They'll do it. They always do. So... So when you get in the in the consciousness like that, from my own personal experience, when you give it to Krishna, he kicks it back, but he multiplies it. It comes back, but it comes back much greater, which causes you to give a little bit more. Now I have a little bit more discretionary income, so you pitch that in there. He throws it back even bigger. It's like playing catch with somebody. You throw them a, a baseball and they throw back a boulder. <laughs> ah! <laughs> so, no, Krishna's like that. He's it's just the way he is. It's hard for him to restrain himself when he feels your, that taste of love. You did that. You did that to please me, didn't you? Wow. Well, here, take this. <laughs> I was thinking of that quote by Shri Siddhartha Sarasvati where he said, Life without love is useless and poor, they say. So engage me in a service to your love. Love is my faith. Mm, yeah. It's like, what do you. It's like that we're all looking for like joy and bliss, but it's like when we do something selflessly and we experience that, that's when we pay us. That's the only thing that really pays off. And if you can get completely selfish, uh, selfless with Krishna, well, if you're just doing pure devotional service, then you win him over. I mean, you always win his favor, even if you do a little bit of devotional service, and it's not pure. You win him. But it's like he says to the gopis, you've, you've served me so nicely. I don't have the the um, 
uh, resources to repay you what I value, your love. So I have to give you me. I'm all I have left. In other words, Krishna says, my wealth, which is infinite. How can you calculate his wealth? But he says, I have insufficient funds to pay what your love is, is, is worth to me. So I have to I have to become your indentured servant. I, the only thing I have is me. So in other words, Krishna is looking at his fortune, which we can't even measure, as so insignificant compared to your love, your true love. I have to... You, you, have, you have purchased me. <clears throat> so this is the kind of love that Krishna wants to share. You know, and, and we, uh, it is our nature as living entities in the purified stage to be able to love Krishna to that degree. It's, it's not only possible, but that's who and what we are. That's what we do in the liberated stage. So Krishna feels this debt to all, all the living entities. Your love is just... So when you think about uh, what kind of an environment has Krishna created in Goloka Vrindavan? He's there and he's loved by these incredibly loving entities to the point where he feels... I owe everything to all of you. By your love, you, you've purchased me with your love. Now, if you were God, wouldn't you kind of arrange it like that to where you'd be loved that much by infinite number of people? It, this makes really good sense. You see, this is the, the ultimate understanding. So this is liberation. This is the spiritual world. This is what you will do in liberation when you're back, back home, back, back to Godhead. You're going to have this. And Krishna's going to be thinking, how is it that you love me so much? What can I do for you? So some people think, well, I don't know if I want to get that. I don't want that close personal bond with God. I'd rather keep him more of awe and reverence. You see, if I worship him with awe and reverence, then I don't ever have to have this moment with him. I'll give him some homage and some offering and and then, okay, here you go, God. Okay, okay, off you go, because I'm going to go do something for, for me. Well, that's pious. And there, there are personalities of Godhead that you interface with that way. In Vaikuntha, but not in Goloka Vrindavan. In Goloka Vrindavan, you, know, you, you have uh, reached the point of being able to love to your uh, infinite level. And there, he belongs to you. Of course, you belong to him too. You know. All right, so I think we better wrap it up. All right, thank you all so much.